Welcome back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and right now I'm experiencing a pretty intense case of schadenfreude due to the fact that at the time that I record all of this, Solo, a Star Wars story, is rather busy tanking it at the box office right now, at least tanking it as best I, uh, as, as best as I know. Basically, the number that I keep hearing in all of these different news reports and whatnot is 105 million, 105 million, 105 million. Like, that's going to be its its take for this four-day weekend, right? Now, for uh, really any movie, but especially for a Star Wars movie, to do 105 million on a conventional, like, two-day weekend, that's double-plus non-good. You know, just by, I, I guess, you know, by virtue of a normal weekend that consists of Saturday and Sunday, doing a measly 105 million is really nothing to write home about, guys. But for this extra long weekend that we're talking about, that includes Memorial Day to do 105 million, yikes. So, anyway. As many of you know, I've pretty much tuned out of these new Star Wars movies. If you're getting into them and you're loving it, you know what, whatever, more power to you. I'm not getting into them as much. And the the big reason for that is because it really does feel like this kind of reinvigoration of the Star Wars franchise that we've been living through or suffering through, in my case. It's a little bit of a... I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat it. The simple fact of the matter is I don't think these movies are being marketed for me or for my enjoyment. And based on public comments made by Kathleen Kennedy, by Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last Jedi, and I would say even J.J. Abrams to some degree, these movies are literally not intended for me. You know, now, like I say, if you enjoy them, well, you know what? that's on you, you know, have fun with it. I don't really want to take that away from you necessarily, but you know, it, it does need to be said that these movies are certainly not up my alley, you know? And guys, I got to tell you, the reason I'm like, technically the reason that I'm recording this episode is because it was Star Wars Day, which is to say May the 25th. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Star Wars, but honestly, I never really had a chance. It's just been kind of busy since since the 25th uh, for me. And so really right now, this is the first time that I've had a chance to, to sit down and, and talk about Star Wars, all right? And maybe it's kind of convenient for me that I get a chance to, and, and when I say Star Wars, guys, I, I wanna be clear, what I'm referring to is the movie that debuted on May the 25th, 1977. The name of that movie is Star Wars, okay? Or I might even give the nod, just for accuracy's sake, I might even give the nod to Star Wars 77, all right? None of this Episode 4 or A New Hope bullshit or any of that. The name of the movie is Star Wars. Or, I guess, like I say, Star Wars 77, right? Might allow that. And so it's kind of convenient for me, like I say, that... What I want to talk about is Star Wars 77, and I have Solo, uh, a Star Wars story, to compare it to. You know, I, that just kind of works for me. 
basically, guys, any of you who have paid any kind of close attention to my Star Wars fandom and the evolution thereof over the past, I want to say, like five years or something like that, you've probably noticed that I've become kind of cool to anything that's not the original unaltered Star Wars trilogy, you know? And honestly, this is evolution that I wasn't originally expecting to undergo. There was a time when I really got into the prequels, but what I eventually came to realize, especially when it comes to The Phantom Menace, is that there are aspects of the prequels and elements of the prequels that I really enjoy. Like, even now, I really get into that stuff. But the naysayers really did have a point. You know, they had a point with Jar Jar. They had a point with the dialogue. They had a point with, you know, just the general pacing of the prequel storyline, you know? They had a point with all of that stuff, you know? Now, I still see a lot of good in the prequels, but I can't really say that the haters are wrong. So, what that's kind of left me with is, oddly enough, I mean, this would have been unthinkable to me, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. It would have been unthinkable to me that I'm this original trilogy, like, unaltered trilogy sort of purist, but that, you know, I don't know, fate can be cruel sometimes, I guess. So... That was pretty much where I found myself. I, I, I want to say like at the absolute latest, like 2013, 2014, you know, and in through there. But one of the things that has become very apparent to me over the last, I want to say like two years, is that I love the original trilogy. You know, um, my favorite movie in the original trilogy. And like Tom Panneri says, this is not a controversial opinion at all. My favorite probably is The Empire Strikes Back, but not very long ago, I did a uh, I, I, I did a show with Chris Honeywell about the Team Negative One re restoration job of Star Wars 77, and if you're not really sure what I'm talking about, just check out that episode that I did with Honeywell about it. It's I think it turned out pretty well, and we really go into, I would say, like, the blood and guts of what the Team Negative One restoration of Star Wars 77 was, what it was all about, what it accomplished, so on and so forth. And uh, I guess any of you who are interested in trivia, that episode of, I want to say that was Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, that episode is the only episode of my show that had artwork done by somebody that wasn't me. So, there you go. Something to... To write about, I guess. Anyway, one of the things, though, as I was watching the Team Negative One remastering of Star Wars is I love The Empire Strikes Back. And I would even go so far as to say I love Return of the Jedi. I mean, guys, when it comes to Return of the Jedi, I mean, there's a fucking honesty to that movie that it's like words just kind of fail me, you know? And maybe it's one of those things that, like, you just need to get a little bit of perspective on, you know, just in life. But Return of the Jedi, it is a trap. It traps you into watching it because of how awesome it is, you know? And like I say, Empire, hands down, that's my favorite of the trilogy. But, you know, guys, when it comes to just sheer balls, you know, when it comes to vision, and I would say kind of cinematic tenacity, Star Wars is a pretty tough act to follow. You know, Star Wars 77, there's a vision to that movie that honestly I mean it this is one of those times when words really do fail me and one of the promises that I made when I first started Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is there are, there are certain things I'm just 
probably never gonna talk about, you know? Not as an official policy, you understand, but just, I, I guess, kind of as a basic sort of, sort of guideline. Empire Strikes Back is actually a pretty good example. I mean, guys, I honestly can't think of anything to say about The Empire Strikes Back that hasn't been said better millions of times by other people. So I don't really have anything new or original to offer there. And there's a sense in which that kind of applies to Star Wars 77 as well. But one of the things that I do want to say about Star Wars 77, kind of on the general occasion of Star Wars Day in 2018, is I think the thing that I really enjoy about that movie, the unaltered version of it, and especially the Team Negative One remastering of it, is the ambition of that movie. Because guys, when you think about it, nothing, literally nothing that George Lucas knew about the movie industry going into Star Wars 77 should have told him that this movie was going to be any kind of success whatsoever. In fact, if he finished up that movie thinking anything other than this is sort of the death of his career as a somewhat commercial type of uh, filmmaker... I don't think, I, I think it would be accurate to say that he wasn't reading the tea leaves properly, right? Conventional wisdom, as it was in, in 1977, is that Star Wars 77 is the exact kind of movie you should not make. Does that make sense? If there had been market research at the time, said market research would have told you Something along the lines of Star Wars 77 was just against the public mood, as it was in 1977. And yet, against all odds, the movie was a huge success anyway, you know? And people can come up with ideas and theories and conjectures on why Star Wars 77 was so successful. And you know what? Maybe those theories are right. Maybe they're not. But the way that I look at it, you know, what I get out of Star Wars 77 is a young and I would say fairly brave filmmaker uh, filmmaker basically saying F you to the entire filmmaking establishment. I'm going to make the kind of movie that I want to make and it's going to be successful or it won't be successful. I mean, who can say, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to say that this itch that I've got, I scratched it. And that just seem, that that philosophy just seems to permeate every single frame that's going on in Star Wars 77. And, you know, when George Lucas talks about how everything connected to Star Wars goes back to those 1930s and 40s movie serials, I think he's talking a little bit out of his ass. Guys, I'm, I just don't buy that. You know, the the filmmaking style of Star Wars as a going concern and, and uh, a sort of film franchise, the tone and the style of Star Wars, it did grow. It did adapt, it did change, and it did mature as the movies progressed. The Empire Strikes Back, in a lot of ways, is not necessarily... A, it's not necessarily a direct continuation of Star Wars 77 in terms of tone and style, and all of that, you know, and Return of the Jedi was less of a continuation, The Phantom Menace, less of a continuation, Attack of the Clones, less of a continuation, and just so on and so on and so on, right? I don't see a whole lot of connective tissue between the sequels 
you know, Empire, Jedi, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. I don't see a whole lot of connective tissue between those films and 1940s uh, film uh, uh, movie serials as I do between 19, uh, or sorry, uh, Star Wars 77 and those 30s and 40s movie serials. I just don't see as much connective tissue with the follow-ups, you know, but I do see a fair amount of connective tissue with Star Wars 77 and and that type of uh, approach to filmmaking, you know? And here again, I mean, that was a very brave and very, I don't know, just risky way to make a movie, especially in the 70s when that kind of, you know, hammy uh, film serial uh, type of approach to making movies had long fallen out of favor, you know? And yeah, there were adults, you know, running around in the in the 1970s who probably remembered those old movie serials, you know, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and all the rest. They remembered those, but not necessarily fondly. And I would even go so far as to say that 1940s serials, they're not even really a genre under themselves. I mean, George Lucas arguably transformed them into a genre, but I do think it's fair to say that, you know what, those things really weren't genres. I mean, they they were basically shorts that were produced on the super duper cheap and thrown together very quickly. But there wasn't necessarily an intentional tone and style that was being set forth in those things, you know? And George Lucas, I think, kind of took the trappings of of those movie serials, you know, the low budget and the less than stellar acting and the kind of hammy uh, writing, and he, and he extrapolated a genre from that where one didn't necessarily exist. And the end product of all of that was Star Wars 77. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm willing to give Lucas a lot of leeway whenever he says that everything that relates to Star Wars goes back to those movie serials. I'll acknowledge that there's probably a lot of truth to that with Star Wars 77. I call complete bullshit on that with the Star Wars sequels. But with Star Wars 77, yeah, I'll I'll buy into that. But one of the things, one of the other things that really works for me when it comes to Star Wars 77 is, honestly, a lot of it really does come down to John Williams's score for that film. Now, I'll be the first to acknowledge that John Williams went on to produce, I would say, on a technical level, probably more sophisticated film scores than Star Wars 77. There are a lot of themes and melodies and whatnot with the Star Wars 77 score, but I don't think that was John Williams's creative high point. You know, I don't think John Williams had quite reached his creative zenith with Star Wars 77, you know? It's, but having said that, the score itself is still amazing. And to me, this is the most essential, even though I'm willing to acknowledge that there are probably elements of the Empire Strikes, uh, Strikes Back score that are probably better for some reason, Star Wars 77 and that score, that's what I keep coming back to, you know, because to me, that is that is classic vintage Star Wars to me, you know, and honestly, guys, you know, I remember reading a couple of different, you know, blog entries and, and uh, I don't know, maybe features and things like that, maybe listening to podcasts and whatnot, maybe about 
I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, where people were kind of suggesting, you know, what would Star Wars be like if there had been no sequels? If Star Wars 77 was the only Star Wars anything that ever existed, you know? And obviously, you know, the, the obvious answer is to that is the franchise itself would be less profitable, obviously. But there's a, there's a degree to which Star Wars 77 would probably be more highly regarded without sequels than it is with sequels, you know? Because the story goes on, you know, after The Wizard of Oz, you know, the story of The Wizard of Oz. There's a lot more story in that, you know, with those characters and in that universe than was ever shown in, you know, the classic Wizard of Oz movie, you know? But there were no real sequels or follow-ups or anything like that to The Wizard of Oz, you know? Now, I know that there are other Oz-related movies that exist, but they weren't created by that same creative force that, that developed the, the first Wizard of Oz movie. I mean, the, the Wizard of Oz movie that everybody thinks of is pretty much a standalone piece. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so highly regarded, because everything that you need to know about the Wizard of Oz in general can be found and then resolved in that one movie. And if there were no other Star Wars movies, I think the same would be generally true of Star Wars 77, you know? It's, it's a complete story unto itself. Now, yes, it leaves room. Some would say it demands sequels. But it's a complete story unto itself. And to me, that's worth something, you know? And there are a lot of people... Well, not a lot of people, but I do remember detecting this idea or this notion or sentiment among some people that, you know what? Maybe the only Star Wars movie that I should ever bother watching is Star Wars 77. And a lot of this, guys, was kind of disenchantment with what was happening with Star Wars you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, and God knows everything that's happened, you know, since Disney took over, maybe people have started thinking, you know what? Star Wars at its most simple and at its most distilled and the core essence is Star Wars 77. And maybe, maybe that's what I want to be a fan of and leave Empire and everything after, just leave that to the side, perhaps, you know? And that's not really a, an idea or philosophy or attitude that I personally identify with, but it does kind of tell you something about how well regarded Star Wars 77 is and just, I guess, what what a quality product it truly is. You know, yeah, it was produced on a shoestring budget. There's a lot of repeated sets and all of these other things. And even five or six years later, you know, after Star Wars 77 first came out, I would say that the effect shots that that were used in that movie were starting to look, you know, pretty, pretty quaint. But, you know, overall, you know, it's just this incredibly sophisticated, I don't know, just ambitious effort. You know, uh, it, there's a lot of balls and a lot of bravery and just, honestly, guys, just a lot of vision that, that went into making that, that went into making that movie. And Again, not trying to take anything away from, you, you know, the movies that came later, Empire and Jedi, because I love those, especially Empire. But there's just, 
there's something that's just, I hate the word fresh, because it's just such a pretentious douchebag thing to say, you know, wow, this is really fresh, you know, in relation to something that's not food. But there is a freshness and originality to Star Wars 77 that is just not as immediately obvious in the follow-ups, shall we say. So, anyway. That is just some of the stuff that I that I really enjoy about Star Wars 77. So, to all my listeners, happy belated Star Wars Day. And that, I think, is pretty much it for me this time. So, bye everybody. I will see you next time. <laughs>